0: She is persistent if nothing else. She's friendly, she's loving, she absolutely loves to be around us, but incredibly, incredibly persistent. Her name is Posh. Posh Potato is actually the full name. <laughs> little little Frenchie that, that we love. Only her persistence gets her into trouble at times. So we have a little kennel for her timeouts. We have a little kennel for her nap time. We have a little kennel for her sleep time. We have a little kennel for when other dogs come around because she is is so persistent in wanting to be with us that if another dog comes around, well, she loves the other dogs, so don't get me wrong about this, she absolutely loves the other dogs. If you let them outside to play together, they have a riot. But the moment the other dog tries to come close to us, she all of a sudden changes. The switch flips in her and she tries to run the other dogs away. And that creates conflict. And the other dogs are bigger than her. And so the conflict doesn't always go well. And so when we know we're gonna bring another dog in and and be spending some time with them, she goes in her little timeout kennel. Well, she hates her timeout kennel. (laughs) She absolutely hates it. And so when she sees us turn and start coming towards her, she stops following us around everywhere we go. And she immediately dives under the table. And when we come over to try to get her out from under the table, she races across the living room and dives underneath the couch. And it's gotten to the place where she's quick enough and smart enough that it takes at least two of us to capture her and place her back in her kennel. And she's even gotten so wise, see we tried all sorts of tricks. So we'll open the door and we'll go outside, thinking, okay, we're outside. And at first it worked, she'd follow us outside and, and then come running up to us and we could pick her up and then carry her back inside and place her in her kennel. But she's incredibly intelligent. And so that doesn't work anymore. We go outside and she looks around. Okay, are they trying to catch me and put me in my kennel? And so the, the moment she, she catches on, the, the, the catching is going to happen, she immediately takes off. And whether it's outside or inside, she will not come in within range to grab her. So we're still trying to figure out ways to outsmart Posh. But she is, is incredibly and amazingly persistent. She will actually move her kennel halfway across to where the table is. So her kennel's in a little cubby in the living room, and she will bounce it across the floor out towards the table. Now, there's, there's one thing when we got her uh, that, that we were told to be very careful with. They said, uh, Frenchies can have joint problems and things, and so don't let her jump up on the couch. And so we have attempted to follow that rule to no avail. She wants to be with us so badly that no matter where we're at, she jumps as high as she can. So if we're in the kitchen, the other day we were in the kitchen uh, making, I forget what we're we are were, making, anyway, we're in the kitchen working, and all of a sudden she jumps up and hits the counter level. Now, she's you know, only so big, she's a little tiny thing, and, and instead of legs though, she's got springs, and she's, I don't know, she's, she's not full Frenchy or something. She just, she just springs. Uh, Wendy got a picture of her, I think it was yesterday, she leaped up and landed on the kitchen table. And, and she's been working out all this time. And she, when, when we put her outside, she wants to be with us so badly, we close that door, the, the outside door off of our, onto our deck, and it's got the, the grid, you know, the plastic grid on the outside. Well, she's learned that if she jumps up about halfway up, she can get her back feet on that little grid and then launch herself up further to see what's going on wherever we're at inside the house. Posh is nothing if not persistent, (laughs) and it gets her in trouble, but mostly it's just adorable, and we love her for it. We're going to talk about persistence today. Persistence in prayer. As we're going through this this, uh, prayer time with the conference, 40 days of prayer, each week we have a different theme, a different focus, and this week our focus is persistence in prayer, the power of persistence. Well, we have learned very quickly that persistence is incredibly powerful with with little Posh. So our scripture reading for today is in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse one. You're probably familiar with this parable. As I I dug into it, I was like, okay, I've read this parable a hundred different times. What can we discover that's new today? And I'm excited to share with you some of the things that I found. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Generic term men, this includes everyone, right? Young, old, men, women. That people always ought to pray and not lose heart. Some versions say, and not faint. So keep on praying, keep on pushing, keep on persevering, keep on coming to God and laying hold of him is is kind of the idea here without fainting, without losing hope. Now, if you you back up and look at the context of this, in, in the previous chapters, Jesus is talking about the coming kingdom. And they want to know when the second coming will be. They want to know when the kingdom of God will be established. And so we're we're sort of in in that context Jesus is talking about. And he tells this parable. Then he spoke to them a parable that men always ought to pray and not lose heart saying there was in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. This judge doesn't care what God thinks and he doesn't care what you and I think. He has no emotional connection to God or to man. He is all about himself. That's, that's 100% what he's concerned about, and he doesn't really care what anybody else is about. Now, there was a widow in that city. A widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me. Now, just, just so we're all clear, back, back in those days, what, what, a, what means did a single woman have provide for herself not a lot right in in that society there wasn't a lot of 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 jobs she could go out and get there wasn't anyone really to come and stand by her it was it was her husband or her kids her, her male children that would be the ones that would be the ones to stand up for her in any any given case so so she comes in before the judge and and she's got no leverage she has zero leverage have you ever been in a situation where you have zero leverage it's not a lot of fun it's not a, lot, a whole lot of fun. Uh, I got myself into trouble last week. I started a story, and the conclusion of the story hadn't happened. I got in an accident. All right, got in a car accident, and and uh, got sideswiped by a guy trying to avoid hitting the cars in front of him. And he swerved into my lane and, and sideswiped the car. Well, I was in a hurry, had multiple appointments to get to, and so I didn't wait around for a police report. I took pictures of everything, exchanged information with him. And he took off. Well, I, I learned this last week that you probably want to stick around and pick a police report. <laughs> because we, we filed a report with his insurance, and they said, OK, we'll process it. And they started calling him, and he didn't respond. And so I, a couple of days went by, and, and we called back and said, So where are things at? And they said, Well, we can't get a hold of our insured. And we're like, OK, well, what happens if you can't get a hold of him? Well, if he doesn't confirm that it's his fault, then you're on your own. <laughs> no leverage, (laughs) right? No leverage, I'm sitting there. Now thankfully I had a little bit of leverage. I had taken pictures and I had had a text conversation with him where he said, just let me know what it costs and I'll pay for it. (laughs) So I had a little bit of leverage, but it didn't feel like very much without the police report. And I was informed by by multiple individuals, you should have got the police report. (laughs) Well, live and learn, right? Does God care about those little details in our lives? We'll come back to the story in a minute. If I forget to come back, remind me. All right? I'll I'll finish the story today, I I promise. You just got to remind me to make sure I remember to finish it. Now there was a widow in that city with no leverage. You can kind of feel how she would feel, right? No leverage, no no way to go about getting justice to, to get her situation righted. Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. He refused to give her justice. It's not a great position to be in. There's anxiety that builds up. There's frustration that builds up. There's anger that begins to boil over. Right? There's, there's all these emotions and all these feelings that, that begin coming about when you're in that place, and you can't get help. You can't get justice. And, and it seems like you're, you're just banging your head against the wall, and you can't make any progress. That's where she's at. But she keeps coming, and she keeps coming, and she keeps coming. And it says he would not, verse 4, he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, and it's repeated that twice now, it's fairly important to this story, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Actually, the, the translation there is not quite correct. What, what it really says is, because she's giving me a black eye, I will avenge her. <laughs> because, because this widow keeps coming and keeps punching me in the face, giving me a black eye. So, so he doesn't really care what God thinks, and he doesn't really care what man thinks, but he does care about himself. And, and the fact that he's being now viewed by everyone as unjust by the fact that she keeps coming and laying out for everybody that, hey, this, this guy, this judge is unjust, this judge is unfair, this judge is only about himself, it's given him a black eye. And now he is beginning to experience some discomfort. It, it only matters when it begins to impact him is, is what the Bible's really telling us here. And once it begins to impact him, then he says, all right, you know what? I don't want this black eye anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna give her what she wants. And so we, we conclude from this story that we ought to be persistent with God, and we ought to pray to God, and we ought to come to God and, and press our petitions, even if we're not hearing, in order to maybe give God a black eye? <laughs> to twist his arm hard enough that maybe he gets embarrassed? Is that, is that really what's going on here? Sometimes it feels like it, right? Have you ever prayed and it just felt like you weren't getting anywhere? Like maybe God wasn't listening or he's busy with something bigger or something else, or or you're just praying and you're pressing and you're pressing and, and it doesn't seem like anything's happening, and you're beginning to think, okay, what can I do? What can I do to get God's attention here and to get an answer? Then the Lord said, verse six, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Shall not God avenge his own elect? Now, I want to I change the picture just a little bit here. Because there's a contrast that's being set up here. It's, it's not a comparison of God to the judge. And God is not coming to us and saying, you need to be persistent in order to get what you want. That, that's really not the point of, of this story. It so says, shall not God here shall not God answer his own, what's the word that was used? His own, kind of an old word, elect, right? His own elect. We don't use that word too much today outside of elections, right? We, we have elections, and so we're not going to go there. That's not really a positive thing. <laughs> we don't like elections. Uh, so so the, the better translation of this word is, shall not God hear and avenge his chosen? the the meaning of this word is that God has chosen you. That God has has looked at you and he has chosen you. And so this, this unjust judge, he doesn't care about God and he doesn't care about anybody else. He's not choosing anybody, but God chooses you. You mean enough to God that he looks down and he says, I value you, I choose you. You are worth eternity to me. You are worth all of heaven to me and I choose you. If I value you that much, maybe, just maybe I'm going to answer your prayer, right? It, it's, it's amazing here as, as we look at this. So often when we come to prayer and, and we start praying and we don't get an answer, the first place we go is, what did I do wrong? <laughs> did I do something to, to get myself out of alignment line with God so that he can't hear my prayers, that, that he won't answer what, what I'm asking, right? And we begin, we begin looking inside, and, and there's a lot inside, right, to find, <laughs> And we have been looking at all our faults and our failures and our flaws and, well, well, we better get this cleaned up and shaped up before God can value us, before God can accept us. And is that, is that really what, what he's saying here? I mean, if, if you go to the very next story, Jesus tells a story about the, the Pharisee and the sinner, right? The Pharisee and the publican who come to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee starts listing off all the wonderful things he does, all the, the wonderful things he does in serving God. And and. And the tax collector comes along and says, Woe is me, for I am a sinner. Woe is me, for I am a sinner. So, so is the moral of this story, is Jesus trying to tell us we, we need to re- realize how dirty, rotten scoundrels we are and just wallow in that, and then he'll answer our prayers. <laughs> is that what the story is telling? Is that what the two parables back-to-back mean? I think there's an insight here. That, that at the end of this, this next story, it says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. If, you, if we're all focused on ourself, we will end up being humbled. But he who humbles himself will be, will be what is the word? Exalted. Will be exalted. The, the whole point of this story that Jesus tells, this, this little parable, is that God wants to exalt you and I. God wants to exalt us. See, if if we try to exalt ourselves, we're looking on the inside, and we're trying to find the things that we can be proud of, we can exalt ourselves. But God says, don't worry about that. I want you to be exalted because I am going to exalt you. See, if you look on the inside, you're gonna be focused on all the wrong things and all the good things, and you're gonna be just a mess trying to sort through all this. But, But guess what? If you come to me as you are, if you just come as you are and throw yourself upon my mercy and my grace, Here's what I'm gonna do. I am going to exalt you. I am going to lift you up. So when we combine that truth with the earlier truth that, that God will answer His chosen, that must mean that we're not all bad. Right? That must mean that there's there's something of worth inside of us for God to choose. I love sports. How many anybody here loves sports? Got quite a few sports lovers, all right? I love sports. And, and so as a kid, I still remember we'd go up and we'd line up for kickball. And you'd line up in a long line and you'd have two captains and they'd start choosing, right? And oh, did it feel good when you were chosen towards the front, right? First or second or third or at least not the very last, right? But, but it felt so good to be, to be chosen because you were good at something. You were valued. You were wanted to be on that team. And of course, you're watching, okay, that person's on the team and that person. Now I want them to choose me on that team because that's going to be the better team, right? So, so you want to be on that team, and then they choose you, and, and there's that sense of excitement and, and that sense of fulfillment because you are chosen. And God comes down and he says, I have looked inside of you. I have looked inside of you, and I choose you. See, sometimes we, we get caught up in this, in this, uh, this, this mess of thinking. And, and we either think, man, we've got to focus on everything that we are wrong and everything we are bad, or... Or sometimes we think on everything good and, and how elevated we are. Well, there's, there's a reality. It, when you study what the Bible says about the, the nature of humanity, we find that we have both sides in us. God designed us perfect and amazing and wonderful, and he knit us together in our mother's room, right? There's, there's that side, that, that we were woven together by God. We were designed for a purpose and a plan, and that God found value in us. In fact, he designed us for that value. So there's this amazing imago Day, the image of God that is within us that says, you are worth more than anything in the universe, so much so that God died for you. And then on the other side, we find this fallen human nature, and on, on that side, there is nothing in us that's worth anything, right? And, and so we get caught up in this, this back and forth. Are we worth something, or are we not worth anything? Or Are we worth everything in the universe, or are we worthless, right? And, and we get caught up in this thing. Well, in regards to earning our salvation, we bring nothing to the table, right? The, the fallen human nature says we are worthless to bring anything to salvation. But on the flip side, God looks at you and he says, in spite of your flaws and failures, in spite of, of this fallen human nature and all the sins you have committed or committing or will commit, guess what? You are worth infinite infinite wealth. All of heaven is poured out in order to save you. That's how valuable, that's how, how full of worth that each one of us individually is. And God looks at you and he looks at me and he says, I choose you. I choose you, and so now I want you to come to me, and I want you to keep coming to me based on that, based on the the knowledge that you are worth everything, because you are created in the image of God, and more than that, you are designed individually, uniquely to be a part of God's plan and a part part of God's purpose, to be a a piece of, of the artwork of eternity. God says that's the value. That I place on you. And so when you come to me, when you come and and, and you call out and you're pouring out your heart to me and, and you're asking me to answer your prayers, I want you to pray with that perspective of yourself. I want you to pray with the knowledge that you are chosen because you are infinitely valuable to me. That's how I want you to approach the throne of grace. That's how I want you to view yourself when you come and you enter into prayer and you lay your request before me. It tells us something about ourselves as we look at this parable. It tells us something about how God views us, that he bases our prayer life, our assurance in our prayer life on the fact that we are chosen by him. You are chosen. There may be delays. Though he bears long, it says, don't lose hope because you are chosen. We may not understand what's going on, right? We may not know the, the ins and outs of everything, but we know that, that we are chosen by God. And, and God cares about not just our souls, not just the, the soul hunger that calls out and longs for salvation, but God, God cares for the individual little things in our lives. God cares for when we were impatient and left the scene of the accident, right? Right? So yesterday, yesterday morning, insurance called. Actually, a couple days ago, they called, and they said, we don't have enough information. You need to send us more pictures. So I sent them the rest of the pictures I had, and I sent them the the text messages between me and and the guy and didn't hear anything for a couple days. And so we're like, what do we do? And he's like, okay, that's enough of this. I'm calling our insurance, and we're going to have them take care of this and handle this. And because if you call your insurance and they take care of it, then they go to bat for you, and they've got a lot more money and a lot more lawyers than most of us do, right? And so there's a little more little more uh, leverage behind them handling it than us handling it. So, so she gets on the phone and she's calling them. When, when I get a call from an 800 number and I'm like, I got to take this call really quick. So I jump on the phone, take the call. And it's, it's his insurance agency calling to say, we got a hold of him. He owned responsibility for it. You're covered. You're covered. Boy, the feeling of relief, (laughs) the feeling of knowing that my wife's car is going to be fixed. (laughs) And the, that even though I, I didn't do everything exactly correctly, God answered our urgent pleas for help. And now I don't have to worry about it. It's all covered. It's all gonna be taken care of. It's all gonna be fixed. That was only a week that I dealt with that. I mean, there's, there's times we pray for a lot longer. You know, I was, I was reading yesterday as well, after six months of occupation in Ukraine by, by the Russian army. There are villages this week that are being freed for the first time. I don't know if you saw the images. The images of, of the, the forces of Ukraine rolling into these villages. And little elderly ladies coming out, affer- first afraid, because they're soldiers in their yard, and then realizing that these are our soldiers. These are our soldiers come to save us, and they grab hold of, of their soldiers who came to set them free. And the joy on their faces and the tears running down, it's an amazing experience to see. I mean, but but can you imagine being under enemy occupation for six months, not knowing if you're going to live or if you're going to die? Not knowing what horrible thing's going to happen to you, and then the sweetness of freedom, of knowing that you have been freed. God says, I promise you, I promise you, I will set you free. I promise you I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. I will be there for you. And though, though the answer to your prayer, though the answer to your request, though the answer to your struggle drags out, and it doesn't seem like I'm there, answer's coming. And when it comes, it will come quickly. It will come speedily, he tells us here. When deliverance comes, when the answer comes, God moves in a hurry. I tell you that he will avenge them, verse 8, he will avenge them speedily. This word avenge is is not getting vengeance like we would think of. It's it's a technical legal term that he will give you justice, that he will come and make things right, that those prayers you've been answering, those things you've been wrestling with, that, that those things in your life that you've been wrestling with God over, that he will come and make them right. So I tell you, I will avenge them. You can claim this promise. You can claim this, I give you my word. And then he ends, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And, and, and when I looked at this, I've, I've wrestled with this last statement for so long. Does it, does it really mean that, that I don't have enough faith? <laughs> Right? And, and when we circle back, all of a sudden we're back into this. We're, we're not thinking about whether we're chosen, whether we're valued, whether we're, what we're worth to God. We're back into this, well, maybe it's because I don't have enough faith. <laughs> maybe, in these, these, maybe they had faith before me. Previous generations, you know, in the Bible, Daniel had faith, and so he got answers to his prayers. And, and all these other people, they had faith, and they got answers, and, and miracles happened. And, and so maybe it's a problem with me. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth and then it hit me again and again and again god keeps telling me my focus is in the wrong place will he find why did why was the widow to to have faith well she didn't have any faith in the judge did she did the widow have any reason to have trust or faith in the judge that she was coming up against if if you were her how much confidence would you place in that judge Zero, right? Was, was the answer to her request because she had so much faith in that judge? No, it was not, right? So there's, there's something going on here. At the end of the story, God says, when he comes at the end, will he find faith on the earth? But at the beginning, she gets an answer totally apart from faith. Are you with me? There's, there's something, there's a dynamic here in this story that's being set up that makes you go, huh? what, what in the world is going on here? What, is this, what does this say? And so we take a step back and, and we look at it again. Why, why does he conclude this story with this question? Will, will he really find faith on the earth? And we come back and we find that the, the widow's faith is not one of trust in the judge. It's one of perseverance. And so if we take that the next step, our perseverance, what God calls us to, is not based in a confidence in a judge who doesn't love God and doesn't love man that's the contrast that's being set up here but but in a god who loves us immeasurably more than we could ever calculate a god who looks at you and says forget all the fallen human nature stuff you are amazing i designed you you are created in my image and that is worth eternity And you are going to be with me in eternity. You know what? I love you beyond what you could even understand, what you could ever imagine. My love for you, my grace for you just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming, and it will not stop. So keep going in that knowledge. Whether your faith is there or not. You know, as the, the father who came who wanted his daughter to be healed, and, and Jesus asked, do you believe? He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? Help my unbelief. The answer to his prayer was not found in the fact that he had enough faith. It was, it was found in the answer that he laid hold of God and, and said, you take care of it. <laughs> Your grace must make up for my lack of faith. And there was something in Jesus that just drew that response out of him. And God is setting the same thing up here. He says, you are chosen. I chose you before the world was created. I chose you before you were born. I chose you from the foundation of the the earliest plan of, of this earth. Did you have anything to do with me choosing you? No. Did you have anything to do with earning my choosing you? No. Do you have anything to do with earning me answering your prayer and loving you? No, I chose you before the world was created, before you even thought of by your parents. I chose you. That's where the trust in the answer comes from. It's all on God's side, it's not on ours. And God says, I will keep pouring out my love for you until you finally get this. I will keep pouring out my grace upon you until, until you finally just surrender. it you may not intellectually understand it you may be like that that father who came and wanted his daughter saved and in desperation he finally it just came out and was drawn out by the love and the grace of god help my unbelief see it's actually in a recognition that we don't bring anything that we don't have anything to lay hold of god that we actually lay hold of god if that makes any sense it's in recognizing his incredible love for us that we get the answer the ultimate answer to our prayers. And so Jesus asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's trying to think of how, how, do we, how do we bring this home? How do we illustrate this? How do we, how do we make it all make sense? And all of a sudden it hit me. I got it. This last summer, we went on vacation down in Northern California. We wanted to go see the Redwoods. Didn't realize how close the Redwoods were to the beach. So, you know, you could go to the beach in the morning and the Redwoods in the afternoon or vice versa. And, and uh, so, so Greg told us, hey, when you're down there, you go out on this beach, you want to take a left and you want to keep going and keep going and keep going. Because if you go down far enough to the left, most people don't go down there, but there's some amazing tide pools down towards the end of the beach. And if you go at low tide you can actually get around there's a, a point that juts out and, and the water goes out far enough you can get around and there's even even more tide pools out there and so we're like okay let's let's go check out these these tide pools so we're, we're walking down the beach collecting you know sand dollars and different things that have washed up on the shore and and there's you know half shell uh, half crab shells laying there where the, the seagulls have eaten out and, and things so we're walking along seeing these things and, and collecting and and uh, we, we get a ways down the beach, and all of a sudden, Kayleenan takes off ahead of us. And, and she gets out there a ways, and, and she finds one of these tide pools. And we're still trying to collect these, you know, dead, dead shells on the shore. And she finds this living tide pool filled with all sorts of, of, of creatures and, and critters. There's, there's sea stars, and, and there's urchins, and all sorts of amazing, colorful sea creatures that I'd never seen, like, in the wild before, like out there on, on a, in a tide pool. You know, you see them in, a, in an aquarium, or you see them in pictures and things, but, but to actually see them there live, it was, it was amazing. So we went up and, and started looking at them. The tide had, was, was way out that morning, and so we started exploring in there, and there were little crabs, you know, you could see they had, had ducked back under, and they would come running out and then go racing back and hide. And There are all sorts of different creatures, just a, an amazing wealth of, of life here in this little tide pool. And so we went over there, and and they they wanted to see what the the sea stars were like, and they feel a little different than what you would think, right, they're they're not like the dried out ones that are are hard and brittle. You you grab them, and and the amazing thing is how hard they cling to that rock. (laughs) They they cling onto that rock like nothing else, and and so you you gotta really kinda pull on them, you don't wanna hurt them, but you you carefully pull on them to to get them detached from the rock. And and so they finally got one detached, (laughs) and they they started looking at it and and playing with it and things, and, and I walked over and we were, we were taking pictures and, and then put it back on the rock, right? Because you don't want it to be washed out to sea when, when the tide comes in. So we're looking around at all these amazing creatures that are, are anchored here to this rock and they cling to the rock with, with everything they've got. And you may be thinking, here's where he's going. He's saying and our, our persistence in prayer is, is clinging to the rock. That would be a good illustration, but I think there's a better one in this. Because they're, they're clinging to this rock, yes, but, but why are they clinging to the rock? Why are they hanging onto the rock so hard? It's because when the tide comes in, when the ocean washes over them, they don't want to be washed out to sea, right? And yet, all of a sudden, it hit me. What would happen if these waves weren't washing over them? What would happen if the tide never came back in and they were left here on this rock without the water to come in and wash over them? They would all die, right? They would not survive there. Predators would come down and eat them. They'd dry up. All their, their source of life would dry up and go away. They're clinging to this rock, thinking that that is what, what protects them and gives them life. And yet, it's the ceaseless crashing of the waves. It's the endless tide that keeps rolling in over them that gives them life. Life. You see, in in this parable, we often get caught up in our clinging to God, in in hanging on and keep praying over and over and over, even if we don't get an answer to the promise, when actually all along, God is saying, my love is washing over you like the the waves of the ocean over the tide pools. It's my grace and my love that keeps washing over you, that gives you life, that keeps coming in. And and you're thinking here, so you're you're so focused on what you're doing and hanging on to this rock is not to get washed out, that, that that's where your focus is, and you're missing out on the... The truth of the whole parable. The truth of the whole parable is that God's love never stops washing over you, never stops coming after you. God never stops trying to answer your prayer. He is constantly reaching out to you, and you hanging on to Him is simply a little reflection of what He is already initiating in your life. You persisting in prayer is only a a small reflection of God persisting in saving you in rolling the waves of his grace over you time after time after time after time. And so we come down to the parable and it says, nevertheless, will God find faith on the earth? And and what it's really telling us is that, that, will we recognize that God has chosen us? We stop clinging on to our own works and our own hanging on and and trust that God chose us. And if this God loved us enough to choose us, if he loved us enough to hang on to us, to persistently come after us for however many thousand years he's been after us, right? If if he persists in all of that, then it's really not about us. (laughs) It's about relaxing and realizing that those waves we were afraid of are the, the very grace of God washing over us to infuse us with his life-giving power. And all of a sudden, the story changes. The parable has a little different context, a little different meaning. It's not really about if you can hang on to God hard enough. It's about you recognizing that God is persisting and hanging on to you, that he is not letting you go, that he is refusing to let you be swept away, that he keeps coming and coming and coming, and so you are just merely... SEEING THAT AND REFLECTING A LITTLE BIT BACK OF of THAT that PERSISTENCE THAT GOD IS GIVING TO YOU OVER AND OVER AND OVER. THE BIBLE DESCRIBES IT LIKE THIS. SAYS THERE IS A FOUNTAIN. THERE IS A FOUNTAIN THAT HAS BEEN OPENED. A FOUNTAIN OF GRACE, A FOUNTAIN OF MERCY, A FOUNTAIN OF LOVE a fountain that has been opened by Jesus Christ there on the cross, that reveals to us the immeasurable love that God has for each one of us, that he chose us in the very beginning, that he chooses us now, and that he will persist as long as it takes to make sure that we end up in relationship with him. As we listen to this closing song, I want you just to embrace that love. Let the love and the grace of God wash over you today. God of hope, fill you with all joy and with all peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with joy by the
1: power of the Holy Spirit.